So before we get started today, I just wanted to give an announcement to the listeners. Uh, We have a new RSS feed, which means uh, the subscription that you are currently subscribed to on Apple Podcasts um, now will be a different feed. So I'm going to put a link to it in the description. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. With this, we'll be able to have the whole backlog rather than just the most recent episodes. And our podcast will now be on Spotify and other services like that. Uh, Enjoy the show. All right, do you want to read? You just want to jump in just like that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I can go ahead and read it. Okay, so today we're talking about Judges 13. Um, So first we're going to read Judges 13, and then we'll discuss what I think that passage is all about, and then John will discuss what he's picked out from that. Yeah, so I'll jump in. 13.1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the, tri- from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used upon his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Verse 6, Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to, prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule, for, the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering, and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, 
the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahaneh Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And that is Judges 13. So, John, reading this, um, what does this passage remind you of? First, just first time reading through, what does it remind you of? Um, I think I see several similarities. One is in the book of Judges. This reminds me a lot of Judges 6, Mm -hmm. where Gideon essentially has a similar encounter with the angel of the Lord and prepares a burnt offering for the angel of the Lord. This also strikes me as similar to Luke 1 okay, with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that Elizabeth, who was previously barren, was going to give birth to a son named John the Baptist. And he was going to be a Nazarite. Okay. What else? I want to hold off on saying what else because I want to... Well, I don't. So, but the very first thing that came to mind was Sarah. That was the very first thing that came to mind. Barren, old, childless. Angel of the Lord appears, says you're going to have a son. Sarah and Abraham? Yeah. Okay. And I believe that the original audience, that is the first thing that came to their mind too. Really? Well, yes, that's... The story in Genesis, that's part of the Torah. That's the first thing that they'll think of. Okay. This is, Book of Judges is older than Book of Samuel. I mean, it comes right before Samuel. Um, so they think, instead of thinking about Hannah uh, and Samuel, they'd probably think back to Sarah and Abraham. Manoah's wife was sterile and childless. Yes. And when they start thinking back to Abraham, I think the question starts to form, okay, why did God choose Abraham? And I think kind of a clue, uh, without getting into more of that passage, a clue to why God chooses the people to work through that he does, I think can be found in this passage. And so I want to point out a couple things. Um, So first, at the very beginning of this passage, you get this reference to Zorah, the clan of the Danites. You get these references to these certain places in different tribes of Israel. Okay. And then the angel of the Lord appears and says, um, you're going to have a son. Don't drink any wine or eat anything unclean. So she's like, okay, that sounds good. Then she goes back and, and tells her husband and says, he didn't tell me his name, uh, but he said, don't drink any wine or any other fermented drink or do anything unclean. And so Manoah prays and um, God sends the angel of the Lord back to uh, Manoah's wife and there um, she brings her husband back and he says is this really the person that you, are you really the one that came and spoke to my wife and he says yes um, I, she must do what I told her she shouldn't drink any wine or any other fermented drink or do anything unclean okay and then then Manoah says 
okay, we want to prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord says, no, I'm good. Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the offer it to the Lord. And Lord ask, being the, the covenantal name for the Lord. L capital O capital R capital D. Yeah. Y H V H Yod Hey Vav Hey. And then Manoah asks, What's your name that we may honor you? And he says, uh, No, I'm not going to tell you my name. Then Manoah takes a young goat and offers it as a burnt offering to the Lord. Um, and then the angel of the Lord goes up uh, in the flame and then, you know, up to heaven. And then they're like, Oh gosh, this was the Lord. This is the angel of the Lord. We're going to die. And Manoah's wife says, You know, well, we're not going to die. If he was going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering. And then at the very end, it mentions Samuel was born. And Samson. Samson was born. Sorry. Thank you. And then it mentions Dan and Zora again. And so you start seeing this pattern. Uh, at the very beginning, this references Dan and Zora, And then the first section, there's a reference to Nazarite vow, drink no wine or any other fermented drink. Can we just talk about what the Nazarite vow is real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the Nazarite vow is going to be found, explained in the book of Numbers chapter 6. So hold the thought where you were at. Uh, this is from Numbers 6. This is coming from the Torah, which means law in Hebrew. And in Numbers chapter 6, it lays out sort of the guidelines for what a Nazarite vow actually is and what you have to do if you take this vow. So it says, six one. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite, he must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. He must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as he is a Nazarite, he must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine not even the seeds or skins. During the entire period of his vow of separation, no razor may be used on his head. He must be holy until the period of his separation is over. He must let the hair of his head grow long. Throughout the period of his separation to the Lord, he must not go near a dead body. Even if his own father or mother or brother or sister dies, he must not make himself ceremonial uncle- ceremonial- ceremonially unclean on account of them, because the symbol of his separation to God is on his head. Throughout the period of his separation, he is consecrated to the Lord. Okay, I hope that gives a little bit of a background for what this Nazarite vow actually is. Yeah, and so Samson is famous for being a Nazarite, and so isn't John the Baptist as well? Yeah, John the Baptist, if you go to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1, the angel of the Lord gives instructions to... Uh, Zechariah saying, your, your wife Elizabeth, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Yeah. It's interesting, if you just go one verse further, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Because remember, Elizabeth was barren also. Uh, And if you go back to Judges 13, Zechariah has a completely different reaction than Manoah. 
who says in Judges thirteen seventeen, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? And he says something else along the same lines in verse 12. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? Manoah assumes God is speaking and God's going to carry out what he says. And Zechariah seems to have a different reaction. Yeah. And so the Nazarite vow is a separation from, you're seen as like very distinct, very distinct. I mean, having extremely long hair and not eating anything from the vine or touching a dead body. You're set apart and it's like set apart for the Lord. The word Nazarite comes from Hebrew Nazir, which means literally set apart, which is an interesting idea. But keep going Um, where you were going. So he's set apart. And so as I was saying, you, you see this. This pattern, a reference to Zora and the Danites, and then um, drink no wine or other fermented drink. Don't do anything unclean. And then asking what his name is, and then drink no wine or other fermented drink. Don't do anything unclean. Drink no wine, fermented drink. Do anything unclean. And then there's this reference, this please stay here while we prepare a young goat for you. And then the second half of the story starts going, um, offer a burnt offering, a reference to what is your name, and then another saying and then they offer the burnt offering and then towards the very end um, they make another reference to the burnt offering and then at the very end another reference to dan and the zora and noticing this pattern started to get me think that this structure is similar to a lot of other structures that we see all throughout the bible and through a lot of uh, other literature called chiastic structure okay and john do you want to explain what chiastic structure is Okay, so a chiastic... A or a chiasm. chiasm. Yeah. yeah, a chiasm is a literary device etched into the structure of some sort of text. So if a poem is chiastic in its structure, the structure will go something like A, B, C, C prime, B prime, A prime. The ideas presented, or the rhyming method even, it could be applied to, is presented in this hourglass structure where you have paralleled at the top and the bottom the same idea or the same rhyme, right? And then paralleled at the B level, the same idea or the same rhyme. And then paralleled in the middle at the C level, the same idea and the same rhyme. And that's what a chiasm is. And so you would use chiastic structure if you want to emphasize a certain idea because oftentimes in chiastic structure, the thing you most want to emphasize is gonna be hidden in the middle of this hourglass right at the very middle there's going to be something that's asymmetric that doesn't fit in and that isn't paralleled with something else and that's the idea that's emphasized and that's what you want to draw out and so you find this in a lot of places in the bible and genesis 1 is actually a chiasm genesis 2 2, 3 4 5 6 7 8 it just keeps going right a lot of the book of genesis right and if this is the first time you're like hearing about a chiasm i would just suggest for you to just google chiastic structure in the bible your mind will be blown with so many examples old testament new testament all throughout the bible this is a very powerful literary device that when when you start seeing will help you uh, when you're reading the Bible to right. notice these things. And I didn't notice this until listening to the Bema podcast. Um, Bema Discipleship. So props to those guys because they emphasize the chiasm found in the found in the story of creation, which is super interesting if you want to look it up. Yeah. It's, 
But where, where were you going with the kayak? Yes. So so here you you can already tell that there's these parallels. Uh, between the front half of the story and the back half of the story. And I'll get to that in a second. And so what do we want to look for? We want to look for the very center of this chiasm. The front half, you see three references to drink no wine or other fermented drink, don't drink anything unclean. Back half, you see three references to burnt offering to the Lord. And I'm sure there are way more parallels that you can draw out, but this is what I noticed. You also notice a reference to uh, Danites and Zora at the very beginning, and Dan and Dan and Zora at the very end. Um, and so what we want to look for to kind of pull out, I think, um, a big part of this passage is look, what does this point to? What's at the very center? Okay. Um, and at the very center, you see this phrase, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the oh, Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. You're saying that's at the center. I'm saying that's at the center. And now that is kind of a very, very weird... Like a pretty weird thing to have at the very center of a birth narrative. Okay. But I think there there's important lessons that we can draw out of that. And so I want to flip to Genesis. Dude, I should have written down exactly where it was. What story? Um, the story of Abraham. In the covenant? No, saving Sodom. Abraham is basically chilling out. And this is in reference to Abraham. Actually, starting verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had, that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Okay. So you see this little story of, these just random strangers are passing by, and Abraham goes out of his way to be kind, to be very hospitable, to show excellent hospitality. Um, he originally says, oh, I'm just going to get a morsel of bread, and then tells Sarah to make three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And I don't remember exactly how much bread that makes, but it's something like... It's a ridiculous it's amount a rid- of bread. It's like a month's, month's worth of bread. Right. And then he also had just said that they should have bread, but then he also prepares a calf for them and curds of milk. And, right. and also, you have to think, at the very beginning of this passage, just saying he's sitting in the heat of the day. And Jewish tradition has it that this was immediately after his circumcision, which is the story that came just, in, just before this. And so even in pain and, and discomfort, to say the least, he still goes out of his way to show hospitality. And you see Abraham's hospitality, not just in this story, but this is a a great use of it, but also his care for other people that he shows all throughout his life. Okay. And I think that's why this line is at the very center of the chiasm. God chooses, I believe God chooses Manoah because they're willing to accept what God has said, but also are willing to just to ask him to stay and prepare a goat for him. Okay. But I don't think that's the only thing that this passage is trying to tell us. Okay. You see this reference to his name. This is going to be a hard uh, idea to introduce 
immediately after introducing a chiasm. This is but, what's also interesting is that Manoa is the only character named yeah. in this passage. There's, his wife is his nameless, wife's not named, and the angel of the Lord does not give his name. Yes. Okay. To, and then I looked this up too. Manoah it, it means rest. The word in Hebrew means rest. Shoot, I did not know that. Okay, keep Ooh. going with where you were going, if you still can. Oh, I think there's a lot there. Okay, keep going. Okay. Anyway, so the for, after the first reference to drink no wine or other fermented drink, then, then goes the reference to, uh, he didn't tell me his name. And then you see the next reference to drink no wine or other fermented drink. And then you see the next reference to drink no wine or other fermented drink. Okay. And then you have the center of the chiasm. And then you have a reference to the burnt offering. And then you have a reference to a name, his name. And, and then you have a reference to burnt offering. And then another reference to burnt offering. But if this was truly a chiastic structure, it would be the reference to the, the wine, name, wine, wine, center, burnt offering, burnt offering, name, burnt offering. Okay. It would parallel, it would be more of a mirror, but this is follow through. Now, this, so it seems like that reference to the name is misplaced. It's out of order with what a true chiasm would be. Which name are you talking, which reference are you talking about? The lower reference to name, or the higher, the upper reference to name. It could be either, but it doesn't truly parallel. Now, maybe I'm just trying to read too much into this. Okay. But, if that's the case, there's this idea called an imperfect chiasm. And it's when one thing is out of order, you're supposed to link the thing that is out of order with the thing that it's paired with. Okay. And that will kind of make it in order. And so looking at the chiasm pairing, what I believe the pairing should be, you get a reference to drink no wine, and then a reference to a name and drink no wine, and then drink no wine, center, burnt offering, burnt offering and name, burnt offering. And so... You're supposed to then tie the idea of a name and what it's tied to. So in the first, the idea of your name and fulfilling this Nazarite vow. And in the second half, the idea of a name and preparing a burnt offering. Okay. So I think there's a couple things you can draw from that. All right. The idea of the Nazarite vow being set apart is the same way a dedication to the Lord just like a burnt offering is. Don't you see that? Yes. And also the idea of a name, though. Manoah is the only one named. Right. There's no name of his wife. Well, Samson. Samson, you're right, he's named. And there's also a reference to, there's no reference to the name of the Lord. And I think that's because when we try to build ourselves a name, we ignore those around us. We're not hospitable. We don't care for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. We, we're just trying to build ourselves up. But when we ignore making ourselves a great name, that is when we are free to serve others, like how God wants us to. That's okay. when we're set apart. That's when we're like a sacrifice to the Lord. Okay. You know, there's a lot of references to, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He desires our, our lives, not just what we can do. He okay. desires who we are. And I think this is a great framing for the rest of Samson's life in this story. How so? Because like Samson is not the best judge. Like, he makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, Samson seems to break the Nazarite vow on many occasions. Many occasions. Lots of dead bodies. Probably wine. I mean, we can't know for sure. Definitely getting his hair cut. Like, it seems like he breaks every part of it. Right. And so, it also appears, reading through it, that he doesn't really care too much for other people, for being hospitable. He doesn't, like, his parents are like, hey, I think maybe you should take, you know, someone from your own people. He's like, no, no, this girl, I like this girl, even though she's a Philistine. And I know that's, like, not what God wants us to do, but I don't care. 
Um, he seems like he's just cared about, he cares about his own name. Okay. And when he cares about his own name, he can't care about others. What do you think about this? How does that fit in with the chiasm? I'm, How does that fit in with the chiasm? Yeah. Well, the very center of the chiasm is all about hospitality. It's all about caring for other people. Okay. For the foreigner. And the idea of the name is saying when you are trying to make your name known, you can't do what God wants you to do, which is at the very center of the chiasm. That's the kind of people that God chooses. The people that he wants to work with are the people that care about other people and not about their own name. Okay. And then what was that reference to the name? You talked about how there's such thing as an imperfect chiasm. Yes. What was, there was a reference to a name paralleled with something. What was that Thing paralleled with the name there's a name reference in the front half of the chiasm and there's a name reference at the back half of the chiasm okay but instead of it being perfectly mirrored with one reference to you know there's three references to the nazarite vow right um instead of after the first reference there's a reference to the name and mm-hmm. then two more references to the nazarite vow. so it's imperfectly placed it was perfectly placed that would be so that on the back half of the chiasm it looks like a mirror and so the name on the back half of the chiasm would be after the second Got it. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. What was it paired with? What do you mean? You were talking about how... If you you can tie the reference to the thing that is out of place, you can tie that together with what it is next to. Right, what was it next to? And looping it to... In both of them, the first one, it's next to a reference to the Nazarite vow. Okay. And the second half, it's a reference to young goat burnt offering. Got it. Okay. And so you're tying together the idea of a name and sacrificing to the Lord. And so there's right. an idea of sacrificing your name to the Lord. Good, okay. So what do you think? What do you think about what I've said? Well, my question for you is, given that Manoah's name means rest, do you see any implications for that? Yes, I do. Also to underscore the importance of the concept of naming in the Hebrew culture, I think the Hebrews gave a lot more importance to the name of their their children they didn't just pick it on a yeah. whim they didn't just like the way it sounded they thought about its meaning and named someone for the sake of the meaning of the name not just because you know it had a good ring to it that's kind of yeah. like what we do and i think we lose just the value of names in our culture maybe not completely definitely in a sense mm-hmm. but what 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 did you think the idea of rest in torah is so it stands out if you listen to the Bema podcast, the very first episode, spoiler alert, the whole Genesis 1 is all about the idea of rest. That's how they interpret it. And in the Ten Commandments, keeping the Sabbath holy is the only active command. And you see all these references. Giving animals rest is something that the Torah commands servants, giving them rest to. It is very unique, very distinct. And part of the reason why I think we need the rest is because when we rest, we, we're saying enough. We're saying, I don't really need to be doing anything right now. Like, I don't know why I need to just be busy to try to fill this time, to try Good. to work towards my own name. I need to rest from that. Mm-hmm. I just need to trust God. I need to trust his plan, trust his story, find rest. And in saying, in being able to say enough, enough, stop doing yeah. too much. It's saying enough from your own name too. We imitate God who said enough on day six of creation and rested on day seven, mm-hmm. or who said enough after sending water to def- destroy the earth with a flood and let the waters recede, which is something that the, the Bema, Marty Solomon, talks about, Yeah, is that cancer, this disease that strikes humans and 
is so deadly is so deadly precisely because cancer doesn't know when to say enough. Cancer just keeps creating, keeps creating new cells, new cells, more division of cells, create new cells, and it doesn't know when to stop. And that's what makes cancer so deadly. And that's something that we see in our society today Mm -hmm. is we don't know when to say enough. We don't Mm -hmm. know when to say enough materialism or enough partying or whatever, too much of... Or enough work. Right. Yeah. We we don't really have a Sabbath anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. The only thing that's different on Sundays is that you go to church in the morning and you can't get Chick-fil-A after. Like, that's kind of it. Yeah. And so, what would it look like if we just trusted the story? If Sundays, you know, we just didn't do any work. We invited other people over. You know, we were hospitable. We, we cared for other people. We, maybe we had big after-church lunch or something with inviting a lot of other people, maybe people that you don't see all the time. Getting to grow closer together as a community and just resting, trusting in the story of God. How much different would our world work? Would our world look if Christians today did that? I think it'd be night and day. I think that would frame the rest of the week. And I think it would just, it would show us that God knew when to say enough. And he's given us the Sabbath as a gift. Why do we reject his gift? Let's see, was there anything... Anything else you wanted to hit on in the passage? That was what I got.